Welcome to Iraq City. This is The Rocket. Today we'll be talking about U2 uh, from the 90s to present day. Joining me as always, the man, the myth, the legend, K9. What's going on? Thank you. Thank you for that beautiful brief introduction. Um, I'm great, man. How about you? How's everything with you? How's everything after the holidays? Everything is good. Just um, a lot of gaming, probably too much, but enjoying it at the moment and uh, listening to a lot of music, actually. Good, good. What have you been listening to? Uh, yeah, um, quite a lot of stuff. So uh, I've got kind of like two tracks going on. One is the indie track, and the second is the southern rock track. Um, mm-hmm. So from the indie, Death Cab for Cutie, Caged Elephant, The Shins, yes. Miser, and from the southern rock, Leonard Skinner, Grateful Dead, um, CCR, Black Crows, Jayhawks, Almond Brothers, Doobie Brothers, and uh, from folk, Dylan, and a bit of Johnny Cash. So uh, quite a lot of music, yeah. Yeah, quite a lot, quite a lot. Tell me, yeah. uh, what did you think of Death Cab for Cutie? Uh, did you look, uh, and specifically, did you go to the old albums, or are you mostly on the new albums? Um, yeah, I liked them. I, I also forgot to mention uh, Bombay Bicycle Club. That was another one. Uh, mm-hmm. I really like Death Cab for Cutie. They were kind of dark. Um, I heard them a few years ago, I Will Follow You Into the Dark. That was a, that was a great song. And... Um, the reason I went back into it was because I watch a TV show called Afterlife with Ricky Gervais, kind of a comedy drama where he loses his wife. Um, and that came on in the last season, that song. I was like, oh, I remember that song. So that kind of got me into back into Death Cab for Cutie. So the albums would be uh, Plans and Transatlanticism. Yes. Those are the two that kind of uh, resonated with me. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Now, yeah, really they band. were like the breakout. Like they got super mainstream play in that album, right? Like they started to come on the OC, um, uh, yeah. which was a show. I think you're familiar with it as well. Yeah, um, and various other TV shows as well. Um, there was like a buzz around both of those albums, so that's what broke the mainstream. Both of those albums. Oh, I didn't know that, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I really enjoyed those. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much it from my point of view. What what have you been listening to in the last few weeks or even months? Um, so um, I have basically been going back to a lot of. Uh, it's been interchanging uh, between like uh, uh, hardcore uh, hardcore again. Um, I went and yeah. listened to uh, Thursday with emo, like the Thursday the band emo the emo band Thursday, and then. When things start to, you know, get a little like uh, wind down during the day, then I'll put on like the Counting Crows and Jayhawks as well, and then yeah, also yeah. Um, Roxette, which is an old '80s band out of Sweden, and um, wow. they just okay. yeah they they're kind of like pop rock, right? And, right, um, right. Yeah, there's um, uh, and you know there's it's simple stuff right it's very very simple stuff meaning simple mm-hmm. that anybody can listen to it and enjoy it and it's relaxing it's calming there's like cheesy ballads and uh, you know it's a good way to relax your day cool um so that band you, you mentioned i think was thursday the hardcore band is that uh, a band from the states or elsewhere they are from the united states from the new jersey area ah interesting interesting yeah cool. uh they're not uh i don't think they're very political like say 
um, Gaslight Anthem, where you yeah. know they can kind of mix it up with uh, the boss Bruce Springsteen. But um, you know, it's it's a it's a band I used to listen to when I was younger, and yeah. uh, like I think, uh, and it was kind of like a playoff of you when you were going yeah. back and listening to much of your music, like especially. Um, that the metal scene, uh, like the seventies and seventies metal yeah. scene in in England. Specific, right, right, what, yeah. what was the city specifically? Um, different cities, but uh, Birmingham oh. um, was Black Sabbath, obviously, and then yes. uh, Led Zeppelin, kind of Hertfordshire, and mm-hmm. uh, Deep Purple. They're also kind of like outside London, near London. So, but okay. um, oh, like UK is a small, small country. It was pretty much the same scene. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but you know this interesting thing that we still say like, oh, it's a small country and it's pretty much the same scene. There was like a rivalry, like a friendly rivalry between Liverpool and Manchester, and then once Oasis and Blur broke through, then it was like the North versus the South. Oh yeah, it wasn't friendly. It was quite, it's quite intense. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one was actually ugly. I think a lot of it was British tabloids. Yeah, but the Liverpool-Manchester thing is quite serious. Um, it's not mm-hmm. just music. Everything, they're just always going to be rivals. I don't know what it is. Uh, yeah. You know, they're always making fun of each other, etc. The football teams, obviously, the music, mm-hmm. everything. There's a huge rivalry there. And then there's a rivalry between the North and South as well, you know. Northerners yes. kind of see uh, Southerners as kind of, uh, you know, more softer and sophisticated and, uh, you know, stereotypes and, and vice right. versa, you know. Uh, southerners see northerners as uh, kind of simple or kind of uh, working class, um, mm-hmm. too honest for their t- own good kind of thing. So it's just a lot of stereotypes. It's not exactly right. like that. I, I like people from both. So, but yeah, right. there is definitely yeah. I mean, yeah, UK is a small country, but there are definitely rivals and factions and blah blah blah. So yeah, that's yeah. always uh, that's very interesting to me because um, I'm trying to remember yeah. were the Rolling Stones also from uh, Liverpool or? I don't know actually. I think I think they're from London actually. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Right, right. That's a good question actually. I never really. Uh, <laughs> I believe they were from London. But, yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah, you can do a quick search yeah, on that. We'll quick find quick out right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so, um, regarding that, uh, going back, um, listening to. Uh, to, are you over that phase, or you're still sprinkling it here and there with that uh, UK metal scene? Um, I'm kind of over that right now. Okay. Um, you know, unless it's like a song to learn or something, like Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I still listen to Zeppelin. I think that's they're not my top ten. So okay. But, uh, as at, yeah, yeah, I kind of uh, over the going through all the albums and stuff at the moment. It's right. more. The country and the indie stuff right now. So and you too, of course. Yes, yes, you too as well. You too as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, as we wait here, I think um, because of uh, COVID restrictions, unfortunately, one of the concerts that I was supposed to attend has been canceled. Uh, War on Drugs, which I was really looking forward to, but uh, oh man, yeah. yeah so just uh, you know, that's bad luck from my end. And also, I was going to go see another. Uh, um, a Scottish band by the name of Travis. Are you familiar with them? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, very okay. familiar. Yeah, very, very, familiar. very familiar. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, they <laughs> also canceled theirs. Okay, so you got to tell me oh. why you're laughing about this. What's what's the deal with Travis? Oh, uh, nothing. It's just uh, you know, 
Um, I used to listen to them quite a lot when I was younger. Uh, yeah. Why does it always rain on me? Is it because I lied when I was 17? You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Sing and uh, I think Driftwood was my favorite song. I used to listen to that over and over again. You oh, know, yeah. But, yeah, that was a beautiful song. And he did a take on uh, Hit Me Baby One More Time. That was really good. <laughs> cool, cool. But uh, Travis was like on TV all the time, man. That's what I was laughing. Travis was like all the oh, time on TV. Okay. Yeah, on the yeah. Radio in the, they were huge at, at a certain time. Not so much anymore, yeah. but yeah. It was kind of, um, it was not weird, but I should say like them and Coldplay came about the same time. And at the time they were seen as contemporaries. And then that's Coldplay right, yeah. just took off. I don't know why. That's probably another podcast, but I hate Coldplay. So. <laughs> uh, uh, and just for a surprise for our guests, uh, for our listeners, I will be touching on them. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but, okay. but in, again, it's kind of like, you know what? To be honest with you, it's more, well, we'll see. When we get there, we'll, we'll see. Cool. All right. So without further ado, you too, 1990 to present. The first album was Akhtang Baby, 1991, and what are your thoughts? Uh, I believe this is one of your favorite albums. This, yeah, this is my all-time favorite album. This yeah. is like I love this album. It is. Um, I remember listening to it. Uh, you heard you heard a few of the tracks in Saudi Arabia, but it was like kind of like only on MTV, and they, you know, you knew it. You kind of knew it. You didn't know it, and then exactly. when I got here. I listened to yeah. it more, right? And yeah. I was a huge fan, loved them. I thought there was just like the most, you know, uh, uh, phenomenal music. It was experimentation. Um, they were combining elements of rock and uh, and dance music together. Um, kind of something that was already done by like band like Stone Roses and uh, May- and even New Order. But, and it was like, a, it's not, so it was an unfamiliar ground for these guys. And I listened to the to this album to the death like from track one all the way down and so many great standout tracks like fly yep. um mysterious ways yeah um and i forget uh so uh, one, yeah like, uh, one, love is blindness. yeah all these great albums just phenomenal tracks um yeah. this is like this is the zenith of their creativity and yes. um I, I just want to touch up on a couple of things. Like uh, the production was done in Germany. Um, this was uh, recently reunified Germany. So there's like a, a lot of, um, it seems like a lot of like uh, hopefulness in this album, but not too much like yeah. cautious over hopefulness. So yeah. And then even the B side tracks that came out later, like I found them in later albums. Uh, I think there was like a best of you two. And I found them on there. They're phenomenal as well. So double thumbs up for me for this album. Um, it's hard to separate my uh, perspectives on yeah uh, on this album from uh, you know what everybody thinks. So I'm more curious to hear what you think as a person that's not generally a U2 fan. Yeah, um, surprisingly, I love this album. Ten out of ten. I mean, it kind of blew me away. I, I didn't expect it to be as good as as it was. As you said, mm. I'm more of a casual, casual fan, but um, yeah, I find it very, very accessible and just, just good, you know. Like even yeah. better than real thing. One until the end. Who's gonna hide? So cruel. So many songs. Mysterious ways, of course. Love is blindness. Acrobat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, 
you know, produced by Daniel uh, Lanos and Brian Eno. Mm-hmm. It just, uh, it's just a good all round album with a lot of different type of songs and yeah, probably one that I would maybe even get on vinyl. You know, it's, it's that good. It's, uh, yeah, it blew me away. I was like, wow, this is because, like you said, like all I knew was like Mysterious Ways in One, right? Like they're always on TV and the videos. Yeah. But actually, when you listen to the album all the way through, it's just a fantastic album. So I have to agree with everything you said, really. Yeah. Yeah. Again, um, I think the the path that, and it was so weird too, because if you look at it, like U2 is a major influence on Pearl Jam and um, various other grunge bands. So they're going stripped down. And then you look at U2, they're going over the top. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like the, like if you watch, like, I think the concert was called Zoo TV. And if you watch like Zoo TV clips, it's insanity. I think the only band that was doing it this big at that time was Guns N' Roses. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this is a YouTube at its peak of popularity yeah. and fame. Without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. And yeah. you too, like even GNR, man, like when they were on, like when they were performing and they weren't like, you know, late or whatever, they were, at that time, they were just like so huge, so big. Yeah. Yeah. They were, that was that time, the early nineties. Uh, all right. Great album. Any other thoughts before we move on to Zeropa 1993? Uh, no, uh, I'd just like to mention again, one of my favorite albums of the nineties from U2. I like their earlier albums as well, but this is like probably their best one. And probably yeah. has a lot to do with like how they were willing to experiment, how they were willing to go places that they haven't been to before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I think that's accurate. Uh, so the next one up was Zeropa, which is nineteen ninety three. I thought this album was okay. Like it had a few good songs, um, but overall, I don't know. It didn't really do it for me. But there were a few good songs though, like um, Stay, especially Stay is one of the yes. best songs they've done. I think. The Wanderer, the first time, Lemon. Um, again, it was Brian Eno, uh, but this time the Edge and Flood uh, got involved with the production. So, yeah, so for me, like, I would say probably like six out of 10. Uh, what about you? What are your thoughts on this one? So, this is the first album I ever heard of U2. Ah, okay. Um, and it was in Saudi Arabia. Um, yeah. And again, I let me reemphasize: it was not the album. The three singles that came out of this album were the three singles that I heard on MTV Asia. Ah, okay, so that was okay. my first. This is my first exposure to YouTube. Yeah. Um, I loved "Stay So Far Away." Um, like you, I have to agree. This album is lopsided. I think there was some. There's too many unfinished songs on there. That yeah. they could have really worked on, really polished them up, made them better. Um, they went, and again, you know, like I think when you do experimentation, right? Like it's, I think there comes a time where you have to kind of like tinker with it more, right? Like you have to kind of, um, you know, let's maybe let's spend try some more time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think it's so, majority of the album was recorded when they were on the Zoo TV tour. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So uh, again, I felt like it was so. There's like like you like a lot of hits, and then there's like you know just like filler stuff. Yeah, and I yeah. know what they're aiming for, and I gotta applaud that. So I have to applaud like yeah, you guys went somewhere where you you know you're not familiar with. 
but I think a little more work on it. The Wanderer is just a fantastic song, man. Johnny Cash and yes. them, great stuff, good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this definitely. is before. Remember, this is before like uh, Johnny Cash hooked up with Rick Rubin. Yeah, before the American recordings, when he really became yeah. big uh, in the later part of his life. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So this is like he wasn't even. He was kind of like languishing, Fading like out. doing like yeah. yeah, yeah, like doing small shows and stuff like that with. But it yeah. wasn't really big. So yeah, I, think I, that's a good I thing. wish. Yeah, yeah about you too that they um, pay homage to their predecessors, the people they loved. You know, the blues mm-hmm. players, country. You know, BB King. Johnny Cash. So that's pretty cool that they kind of bring those guys back. Yeah. Um, like you said, before Johnny Cash was super huge again, you know, in the 90s and 2000s. So that was refreshing. Yes. So, yeah, for me, I, like you, very average album. Um, even when I do to this day pick up this album, I listen to the entire album, but I, there's only two or three tracks where I'm like, yeah, this is, this is good stuff. But otherwise, it's like filler. For me. Yeah. No, I have to agree with that. I have to agree with that. Um, any other thoughts before we move on? No, uh, nothing, of, nothing of that nature. Just, uh, you know, uh, maybe there's better to come. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, the next one was Pop, 1997. Um, I'll let you go first because I have a few thoughts. <laughs> I'd rather okay. listen to yours first. <laughs> so... This is one of the most polarizing albums. I shouldn't even say polarizing. This is one of their albums that many, many people hate. Many U2 fans hate. And um, I think it comes from the fact that U2 had, number one, it wasn't so much of the album that people begin to hate so much. It's more what what they were doing, right? Like they were doing this, uh, you know, the Lemon TV um, tour and they were doing like, um, you know, dressed up in sequins and they were totally immersed into electronica music and they yeah. were trying some stuff with it. And um, for me, I liked the album. I was never like, oh, this is the worst album I've ever heard. Um, I did like some of the, like many of the tracks. The only downside that I would say about it is like, especially like with discotheque, they released like five or six remixes, which I'm like, you don't need five or six remixes. You just need one or two. That's it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know, you yeah. don't need that much. And um, overall, like the the sound of it was very experimental. Again, at that time, I was listening to more electronica music. I was really into it. So um, listening to you two at that time, it made uh, it, it was like uh, you know, it was pretty cool. But I see how fans can be like, you know, I don't like it. Because in America, Electronica never broke through at that time. It came on in a much later stage. So many of the fans, the original U2 fans, I can see why they hated it. In England, um, I think um, when they heard the Electronica stuff, they were like, you know, we still have New Order and they're doing it better than you guys. So I don't see the point. And various <laughs> right. other DJs, right? They were doing it better than these guys. So I see that yeah, point. Yeah. I yeah. I will add one last thing that what separated them from a lot of the other bands and two actually two points. Number one was Edge's guitaring in this album. It was pretty fierce. It was like you can definitely tell Edge was guitaring, and it was like some of the most um um out there riffs for Edge. Number two, 
remember this, that within a short two to three years after this album came out, we were in the midst of uh, the disco punk revival. Yeah, that's right. True. We had uh, we had yeah. bands like um, the Killers and Block Party. So, U two was ahead of the curve, definitely. But I think what I can say that negative about this album, there was no sense of direction. Um, I'm one of those guys who hated the album. So, mm-hmm. it, it makes the, sense for the reason. Yeah, for the reasons you described, like just electronica and just, you know, kind of a messy kind of album. But there were a few songs which were good, like Staring at the Sun, I thought was really good. Um, yes. Please, and If God Will Send His Angels were all good songs. So, yeah, not, uh, you know, there was something redeemable there. Like there's, there's a few, few good songs in there. But overall, like you said, I just didn't like this album because of the disco electronic stuff, which I've always yeah. done best elsewhere. And also, is not my thing really, but uh, it's growing on me slowly, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's all I had for. I mean, yeah, I can understand how it's like you said polarizing. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And uh, the next one up was uh, three years later in the year two thousand. All that you can't leave behind. Now, this is the one where I kind of started listening to YouTube a bit because of the song "Beautiful Day." Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be the opening to "Match of the Day," which is a football. Really old football <laughs> TV show in the UK, which has been right. going on forever. And uh, we also, uh, me and my brother used to play it when we played the Pro Evolution. We used to turn on the beautiful oh, day nice. and just turn on the volume because it was kind of associated with football. But it was a, uh, yeah, I just really like this album. I think my brother had it. I, I copied it off him. Beautiful mm-hmm. Day, Elevation, Wild Honey, Kite. Uh, yeah, I, I, I dug this album. Again, it was uh, Daniel Linos and Brian Eno. And mm-hmm. it was a bit of more rock, you know, it's kind of like a mainstream rock, pop rock album, I felt. Um, yeah. Your thoughts? So this is a very special album to me. Um, and it's... So I remember when this album came out. Um, it came out like literally a day before my birthday. Like it came out October 30th and I got it October 31st. My brother got this for me for my birthday. So, and I'll, I'll explain more about it. I was at that age, I was a very serious fan. Um, I only listened to like proto emo, trip hop, grunge, new wave, Smiths and the Cure, underground hip hop, and hardcore. And there's nothing wrong with this music, but it makes you angry. And <laughs> it does, it does. Because if you're already alone and you have a hard time connecting with people, this music makes it even harder. Right? Because you just want to live in that world. Yeah. So with all that you can leave behind, can't leave behind, the album with its first track reminded me that, you know what, yeah, life is not so great right now. And I had a but I had a good time before, like, you know, when we were both living in Saudi Arabia. And I'm pretty sure I can have a good time again. I just yeah. need to get through this rut. And um so this album is very cathartic to me. It's all beautiful ballads and uplifting songs. Yeah, yeah. Um, beautiful day, stuck in a moment you can't get out of. Wild honey, and when I look at the world. So, for me, this is just a beautiful album. It helps me relax. It helps me think of my youth. So, so yeah, ten out of ten for me for this album. It still holds up to this day. I agree with that. It's a really good album. And uh, what you were saying, I think, stuck in the moment that you can't get out of probably sums up 
you know, that thing, right? Like when you're reminiscing about your youth and sometimes you don't want to move on. You want to go back, but yeah, uh, this album kind of, kind of pushes you to get over that stuff. But uh, very, uh, sounds like a very personal album to you. So that was, that was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's probably like how you and uh, Nabil probably deep cut probably relate to um, the Oasis's uh, second album. Yes. Yes, probably. Most likely. Uh, that's a good comparison. Um, all right, cool. So next up was How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, 2004. This is the first album that I bought. Like, I actually went and bought it because uh, mm-hmm. I really dug it. Um, and it was because of the song Vertigo. I just saw this the video. And I was like, hell yeah, this is a, this is a rock a rock album. Like, a really yeah. for the rock and roll purist. Um uh, Vertigo, Miracle Day, Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own, it's a beautiful song, mm-hmm. City of Blinding Lights, uh, yep. and then there's a beautiful blues song, Love and Peace or Else, yeah. which was just pure pure blues song, and then A Man and a Woman. So I really love this album. I bought this album. I think the only album of theirs I bought, right. uh, aside from the great, greatest hits of 80s and 90s. But uh, yeah, I, I, I really like this album. I think it's one of my favorite albums from there, from Yes. YouTube. Uh, how about you? How did you feel about uh, how to dismantle an atomic bomb? So I'll add this to this: that I did listen to this album a lot, especially when it came out. Um, mm-hmm. So again, it holds a special place in my heart. Uh, and this is YouTube pop territory—not the album pop, but the format of music. Like as you mentioned before, that it's easy and it's one of the most accessible albums. What you mentioned as well, that anyone yep. can pick it up and enjoy it. Yes. Um, my standout tracks are like Miracle Drugs, Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own, Crumbs From Your Table, and Original of Species. Um, so the common factor with all these songs that I mentioned before is this is what YouTube perfected in the O's, the YouTube ballad. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So it's like lyrics about man dealing with love, death, loss of youth, loss of love, and the sometimes banal and sometimes beauty of life. And it's accompanied by a rhythm section, you know, with uh, Copeland and uh, Mullen, uh, uh, lifted right out of a band stuck somewhere between disco and post-punk. And you have edges over the top riffs with all the reverb. Uh, The lyrics are, again, deep but not meditative, because if you get meditative, then you can alienate casual fans. So this is a cool sound, but... It also gets very tiring very quickly, and you'll see this in the latter albums. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And uh, speaking of <laughs> the next album, was No Line on the Horizon, two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so this had a bit of a history where it, I believe it started with Rick Rubin, but things didn't work out. He left, yeah, um, and th- and then they kind of um, jumped in back with Brian Eno, Daniel, and uh, Steve Lillywhite. Uh, jumped in as well and yeah. uh pr- producing uh an album which i thought was very average uh mm-hmm. i would probably give it a five or six out of ten i didn't really find anything special about it um no line the rising breathe the moment of surrender were some decent songs but overall not a not a great album not a bad album but not a great album at, a, right. at all uh, from my point of view uh yeah what are your thoughts about this one so um, generally speaking, I did listen to this album when it came out, and I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it, um, and I do like it's. I it's this is like the Foo Fighters phenom for me. Like when I went back and listened to this album, I'm like, hey, I listened to a lot of these albums 
a lot of this album and many, many times because what will happen is I'll put on an album and I'll start working and I'll do my work and continue whatever, even if I'm doing chores around the house. Then I'll come back and I'll be like, hey, you know what? It wasn't bad. I'll put it on again. And it's background noise. Yeah. And then you soon realize that, oh, it's an album that I listen to a lot. Um, so, and it was probably their more experimental albums in the O's compared to like, say the latter albums that came out and even the previous two. Um, so uh, the thing that I, and what you had mentioned before is like Rick Rubin produced, he did this, you know, he did an album, he was working with them and Rubin has a very distinctive style. He's like one of my favorites. And this is the guy that brought back Metallica. If you believe that Metallica needed to be brought back, uh, Johnny yep. Cash, he brought yep. Red Hot Chili Peppers from obscure to mainstream. Yeah, but Tom Petty, one, one of his best up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But Wildflowers. the one thing, yeah. So the one thing that really made me think about him was Jay Z and how he became like the biggest crossover artist of that time. And it was a single that you know, Ninety Nine Problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, here's a cool thing about that. If you if you enjoy the history of hip hop, like in the eighties there's no beats. So the DJs had to find break beats in like rock songs and use and use like rolling eight hundreds and drum yeah, machines. Sample. Yeah, to add more music. So Rick in two thousand four, when rap was all, you know, slick productions and drum machines, he took us back to nineteen eighty three and made it sound amazing. Yeah. Like I there's never been a time where hip hop went vintage. You know, rock yes. goes vintage all the time. Right. That's a good point. That's a good point, actually. And that's point. the genius of Rick Rubin. So, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, he is a genius. There's no denying that. Absolutely yeah. no denying that. So, imagine how that U2 album would have sounded. He wanted to take him back to like the basics. And you two didn't like the sound of it. And Rick thought they were actually having fun. So, again, you know, it's it's That's a, a different. Yeah, it's yeah. actually a big shame. And, again, this is, you know, this is like um, how music is perceived and how music is done. Uh, the creative process, right? Like, uh Many bands will go in the studio, record, and then tinker with it, add more sounds, reverb, decrease this, decrease that, and they'll work on the songs in the um, in the studios. And um, when U2 came about, they were doing they that's their process. But Rick Rubin is like, no, just do a bit of the music and then come back to me, and I'll mess around with it and then give you the finished product. And you two don't operate like that, you know. So they unfortunately went back. Um, there was a couple of songs that I did like on this album, like "Moment of Surrender." Uh, this reminds me of "Stay So Far Away." I'll go crazy if I don't go crazy. You know, yeah. it's that classic U two sound with polished right. Bono lyrics. But yeah, yes, I'd yes. be very curious to hear Rick Rubin version. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Like, obviously, that's somewhere there, right? Like, they must have some demos and recordings. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a shame. That's I, really a shame. Yeah, I'm very curious. I wanted to ask you regarding Rick Rubin because I talked a lot about him. What are yeah. your thoughts about Rick Rubin? No, I love Rick Rubin. Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Um, <clears throat> Tom Petty, Wildflowers, you know, Metallica, 
just uh you know his hip-hop kind of uh production history um yeah he's like one of the best in understanding the artist and just bringing out their sound um yes i i hear he's a bit um stickler for time and uh things like that which uh you know some bands might not <laughs> yeah kind of go along with but yeah rick rubin is a is one of the best in the world you know yeah which which probably means because he is a stickler for time that Axl Rose will never record an album with him. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, moving on. Uh, next up was uh, Songs of Innocence, 2014. So a bit of a gap here in yeah. years. And this was a very personal album. Um, and right. it was produced by Danger Mouse. So what are your thoughts, man? So... To me, this like entire album is you know very radio friendly. It's trying to capture that expansive big sound of where the streets have no name. Um, I felt that this album has its moments of brilliance, but the ballads always felt like they were chasing stuck in the moment you can't get out of. And the more grandois sounds like they were chasing where the streets have no name. Um, every one of the producers is Danger Mouse, like you mentioned before, and this is the guy that did the Grey album. Yeah, I was just thinking that today. Um, okay, uh, okay. And also his album with uh, MF Doom. I checked that out today right. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Great, great producer. Yeah. yeah. What did you think of uh, Grey Out? Because you are a fan of um, of the Beatles. Beatles. Um, so far, I haven't heard all of it, but uh, it's pretty good. I kind of like it. Right. Um, kind of remind me um, like the better version of the Linkin Park Jay-Z collaboration right. which is also good but this was uh this was unique like he pulled it off like he took <laughs> the beatles and jay-z and somehow made it work which is kind yeah. of like genius you know yeah he's done yeah he's done he's been pretty successful with you know yeah. working with other bands um a lot yeah. of other Gorillas, stuff uh, their best album demon days um black mm-hmm. keys you know yes. Nora jones a lot of uh, a lot of stuff with a lot of different artists a lot of grammy yeah. awards a lot of uh yeah, a very multi-genre, uh, multi-talented guy. Plays yeah. music as well. I think almost every instrument, from what I, for what I've read. Um, so yeah, one of the best producers, and I think they kind of brought him in to kind of get back to uh, relevance and prominence in a way, because it's been a yeah. few years. And I, th- I think No Light in the Horizon didn't do so well as well. Like it didn't really. No, leave it a mark. didn't. So they're trying to come back with this, which. Uh, I felt they kind of did. I, I, I actually liked the album, like The Miracle of Joy Ramon, Every Breaking Wave, mm-hmm. um, Song for Someone, and I liked the production. And yeah. I, I felt it was solid. Like It wasn't like a groundbreaking, but I thought it was solid and a return to form. But not right. uh, so much so risky, right? It was like they're playing in the safe zone a little bit. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, it was a good album, and I would I would listen to it again, you know? Yeah. Again, I think my contention with it that it's like uh, it, it is overproduced, and someone would say like, "Well, where the streets have no name is overproduced," as well. And I'd say in that song, there's also a feeling of exploring in that song. Like the band generally didn't know what they're making; they're just like, "Let's create this over-the-top sound," but you know, let's see where it goes. With this one, they know. Where they can go. So I, for me, it wasn't that great. Like I just, I think they're tre- like what you had mentioned before. They're treading old ground. They know this is what works for us, and they're going that way. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. And um, I felt the next album was more of the same. Uh, are we ready to move on, by the way? Just, yeah, just yeah. Before... we're ready, we're ready. Uh, so the next one was Songs of Experience, which was 2017. And um, mm-hmm. this had a bunch of producers, a bunch of different producers. Uh, Danger Mouse yeah. back, Steve Lillywhite, um, Jackknife Lee, and uh, mm. Ryan Tedder. Quite quite a lot quite a lot of different people. So it's a little messy in that sense. But I felt it was solid, but again, nothing groundbreaking. Like You're the Best Thing About Me was good. Summer of Love was really good. I, I like that song. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Snowman, Red Flag Day, Get Out of Your Own Way. Uh, again, another solid album, but again, playing the safe zone. And this was more like about um, the letters written to uh, friends and stuff like that, I believe, by Bono. Right. And uh, some pers- again, personal stuff, right? So, yeah. But yeah, that's. I would probably give it like a 7 out of 10 at best. Right. Um, so solid, but not, not amazing. Uh, what about you? Did you? How did you feel about Selden? So to me, it was like a beautiful uh, pop album that was completely bland. And <laughs> yeah, I, again, I don't want to like, fair. and I'll explain this yeah. later. Like when we get to the end, like I'll explain a lot of it later. Um, so you two and Coldplay, they're in this rut where they keep creating these big songs that have no soul or drive to deviate from the norm. And it's like, I think it's like the 2014 World Cup where Coldplay had this song called The Sky Full of Stars. And oh, sports out. You remember that song, right? <laughs> yeah. And sports outlets played that song during a compilation of the best goals during the World Cup. And this is where U2 is now, where corporate sports channels license their music for EPL highlights. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's missing that oomph, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And like you, I did some research on the songs of the album as well. Apparently, many of the songs were about changing political landscapes in the UK and US mm-hmm. and, you know, oh, okay. what's going on, right? So yeah. I, this is the band that made the song Bullet in the Blue Sky, and now they're giving us this, <laughs> right? Yeah. Again, yeah. I can't say I hate this album. It's a beautiful album. No, no. Great no, background no. music, and that's about yeah. it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um so uh, I guess that's that's the last album. What do you um, do you What do you expect from YouTube going forward? I suppose like do you want to hear more of the disco sound or more of the pop rock? Like where do you think they can go from here? Because it's been a good five six years now, right? Like since they've done it. Yeah, twenty seventeen. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, how how do you feel like you as like a super fan or a big fan? What do you want to hear mm-hmm. like, next from the, from them? If anything, you know. So, you know, this is a difficult phase in a band like them, right? Um, They've gotten too big. They're so big now. Like, the only band that can even compare to their size is Metallica. Right, yes. And um, the thing that they can't go, they can't strip it down. They can't make Boy and War again, you know? Like it's they're too big now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. Yeah. So I think the general direction that they can go with is probably start, you know, looking to go in their experimental sounds. You know, like try to see what they can do. Maybe pick up new producers. Maybe you know, um, 
I think it's time to kind of um, experiment, but not, but go back and be more confident. That's what I want them to be. I want them, you know what? They're lacking confidence. Yeah, it's like they're trying to stay relevant or something. Like they're always worried. Yeah. Yeah. They're just worried about it. And, you know, like a, like a band that doesn't care about relevancy are like Iron Maiden and Radiohead. Yeah, Pearl Jam, I would like, add to that you know, as well. Yeah, even Pearl Jam, they're like, screw it. We're just going to make what we like. Exactly. What we think appeals to our fans. And I think a little bit more of that from you too would be great because, and, and going back, like it goes back to like Metallica. Listen, Metallica made three albums with uh, Bob Rock. And those three albums made Metallica extremely accessible to casual fans. Yes. And then they went back to their roots because the hardcore fans demanded that they go back. And I think the sound of metal has changed as well that they, that most fans enjoy the older sound. So I think you have to find like a good place between all that you can leave behind and Octung Baby. Like somewhere in the middle there, they need to get something out there. Because if you go pop and uh, all that you can leave behind, then it's too much. There's too much to um, to work to work with. And again, you're gonna you're gonna ha- you're not gonna have direction, which is like much of like say no line on the horizon, but there's no direction. Yeah. So I think that's where they should be at now. Yeah. I mean, from my point of view, I like the How to Dismantle and Atomic Bomb. That was a, a mm-hmm. pretty good song, sound, you know, because it was just pure mm-hmm. rock. <laughs> yeah. You know, which uh, which is probably my favorite genre in that, in the rock world anyway, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I um, I had fun going through like, uh, well, now all of YouTube. Um, speaking of, if you want to check out the 80s YouTube podcast, that's episode five. Go back to it and listen. But uh, it's been fun uh, going through YouTube with you and talking about it. <laughs> it's Actually, you know uh, it's been enlightening, you know. It's, uh, yeah. It's been gr- so been before great. we do go, I'd like to ask you two questions. Yeah. And as a casual fan. Yeah. Uh, do you think YouTube's in a safe place? Like they can make songs that can market cars and have sold arena tours. So they're think they so they're so there's a thinking in the band. Hey, why rock? Why rock this money boat? You know. Yeah, but how much do you, money do you need? <laughs> yeah. The, you again, know. how much money do you need? Yeah, they should just do what they want to do now. But uh, it's up to them, man. Like, it depends what you're after, right? Like, if you want to yeah. make more money, then I guess you have to stay in the safe zone. And you know, I think they sold the last two albums where they made a deal with Apple, and it came free with the Apple. Um, mm-hmm. phone you know that that's why i heard the songs of innocence first was like on the phone or on my computer i can't remember mm-hmm. itunes i believe it was free and i was like oh they made some kind of deal which i don't know right. I, I would i would prefer like just go back to your roots you know what i mean maybe do some rock stuff maybe even mm-hmm. some experimental stuff like Optum baby you know yeah where it was a mix of both right like you had the straight rock songs you had the ballads diverse mm-hmm. albums. yeah but it's difficult like when you've already done everything and they're the early 60s now you know yeah um, you know what else can they do i believe yes. there is there is because of the talent level there is a lot of um juice left in the band 
Yeah. Um, because of the good song, great songwriting and great playing. There's definitely good stuff to come if they want to. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, as a casual fan, I just like to maybe even make just like a hard rock sound like Vertigo or something. That's just from my mm -hmm. point of view. I'm sure that's not the point of view of mainstream fan, but that was right. appealing to me. But uh, overall, pretty good band, you know, going from the 80s all the way to today. Right. And I look forward to what they do next. My and that's a that's a pretty good analysis, right? Like I I think you're like really hit it on the nail. Like as far as like you know, maybe it's time to do something that can be appealing to hardcore fans and casual fans as well. Like get both of them, and I think that's a pretty good that's a pretty good uh, place yeah. for them to be at now. Because they're uh, safe, right? Like yeah, you yeah. Made your money money you're established, so you don't have to prove anything. Yeah. My other question to you is. So there was a sound in early U2 from the 80s. And, and it definitely seemed like the band was on fire. Like they had to get their words out, play fast and furious before they burn out. Like, you know, like the Libertines, like the um, yep, yep. the Clash, like just that fast and, you know, furious. But they were like a little more polished. Like they weren't super punk. Um and in the nineties they were they went they went about to reinvent themselves and said outrageous things like rock is dead. Do you think there's a creative process or a fire that's only there when you're young? Like you're you only take chances when you're young? I was just about to say that that I, I felt it had to do a lot with that, yeah, youth. Um but that doesn't mean the creative process has to end. It just means that mm -hmm. you incorporate whatever your life experiences at the particular time, which which I which I felt they did right, yeah, um, or they were doing until the, the the recent albums where they were like trying a little too hard, you know. Oh no, let's uh, let's uh, let's go and do some personal stuff, and you know, let's yeah. look at some letters Bono wrote to his friends and make songs out of them. I felt it was trying a little too hard. Okay, whereas just be natural, you know, like whatever age you are, whatever stage you are in life, just make music about that. Because you can connect with someone when you know they're telling the truth, sort of thing. Like not just mm -hmm. in music, but even in life, right? Yeah. Like, and then whatever it is can just it'll come across, and people will connect with it. So you don't have to worry so much as long as you're yeah. honest and the the playing is good, of course, songwriting, compositions, etc. But yeah. uh, they're just, just trying a little too hard to stay huge, which is strange because they're established no matter what, even if they never make another album again. Everyone will know mm -hmm. you too, you know, 50 years from 100 years from now. Yeah. They're uh, just so big, you know what I mean? But but then again, I don't know what it's like to be that big. Um, but it, I, I felt like when you talked about Metallica, the way they started mm -hmm. doing like their old style almost again, mm -hmm. mixed with some of the stuff from Black, you know, like yeah. Death Magnetic is a perfect example of like, you know, both, um, you know, making both kind of fans happy. So maybe something like that. Yeah, but I do agree that when you're young, you have you have the sense to prove yourself, right? Like, um, I've like even in in work or whatever in the twenties, you're you're really trying to establish yourself and build yourself, and there's a lot of fire, and then you become more experienced, so you um, kind of like ease into your role, and then finally you become seasoned. So it's kind of I felt like it's, it's kind of like that with rock as well, you know? Yeah, it's just. Um, 
the stage you are in life. Like you can't be 60 year olds trying to act like a 20, 20 year old. And you can't be 20 year olds talking about grandchildren and stuff when you haven't had any, you know what I mean? Yeah. You have to be honest with your life experience and then wherever it is, write it down, make music out of it. And people will connect with it. who are going through the same thing. I think that's probably the best approach from my point of view. Yeah, I believe so too. And as you mentioned before, you know, like even Tom Petty, when you did those albums with Rick Rubin, they were middle-aged men. Like the whole band was middle-aged men. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, you know, they understood like, okay, this is the direction we want to go to. And they understood like they, you have, and again, I think confidence is also trusting your instincts. Yeah. I mean, Bond doesn't have to wear leather jacket and shades anymore. You know, he's 60. No. So it's like, yeah. just just be 61, man. Just just write, you know. I mean, all these other bands, Maiden, um, Metallica, they're still, they're still doing it, you know. They're just being honest. And I felt you two need yeah. some of that. But, uh, yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in the background, you know. But. No, neither do I. And I think a lot of, I think me personally, and I think what a lot of fans that like that older stuff, I think it just really comes down to, you know, the band is sold out, but that's like a, I, I just believe that sold out is like a, it's such a stupid statement. And what I mean by that is like, you can't stop people from making money. If they want to make money, they should make money. My contention is that they've gotten comfortable. You know, you hit it, the nail in the head. That's the perfect uh, thing to close with. Comfortable. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's exactly it. That's exactly it. You got it. And you yeah. It. And I think as a fan, you just get kind of like frustrated. You're like, yeah, I want more. I want more. And, and yeah. you know what? I think at the same time, you should be happy as a fan because, hey, you know what? You have your war. You have your boy. You have your um, October and, yeah. you know, Joshua Tree and also your um, Octum Baby. Considering that, man, that's that's five albums right there like that that's more than most bands that is true that is true if they stop now you know it wouldn't wouldn't be the worst thing you have a lot of great yeah. material so a lot of great material all right man that's uh, that's all i had for you two any final thoughts before we sign off um no i just hope that the next album will be something to listen to and i will say this much that despite the fact that i wasn't very happy with these latter two albums i don't mind them you know what? I don't mind them. I'll play them as background music. Will I go back and revisit them like I revisit Octum Baby or the first three albums? No. But nonetheless, I don't mind. They're good. They're 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 not the worst albums and they're not the best albums. But they're, yeah, you know, they're okay. Yeah, I would agree with that. And with that, I am The Rocket. He is K9. And we are signing off. Goodbye. <laughs>